Well, we are peculiar to Christ. We are his chosen. But let me tell you something. It's got nothing to do with us. Years ago, I would have taught God's choice of peoples because he looked forward in time and saw that they would believe and that they would be followers. But that's not what Scripture teaches. It took me some study and understanding what God was saying in this passage of Scripture. And I am so glad to be one of God's children. I hope you are today if you know him. If you're not, I hope you will listen intently to this message. In reading Kent Hughes, uh, one of the commentaries that I've been studying behind for this passage, he tells a story. I, I wanted to bring it and read it, but it's a page and a half long. They didn't want to do that. Um, he tells a story of a Supreme Court judge in England that at one time had a very well-known burglar among uh, in his courtroom for trial, and he sentenced him to seven years in prison. After his prison term was fulfilled, Shortly thereafter, he heard the gospel and became a Christian. They both ended up attending the same church. But the period of time had been so long, they didn't even know one another, hadn't even recognized one another. And one day, he was serving in the church uh, at the communion table, and along beside him was this man, and he never knew it. And the man didn't realize who the judge was. When leaving the church service, the pastor came out alongside the judge and says, did you notice who you were serving with today? He said, no. He says, he's a man that you sentenced to prison seven years ago. And the pastor says, what a miracle of grace that God could save a man like that. And the judge waited a minute. He didn't say anything. He said, yeah, it's a miracle indeed. But after another minute, he turned to the pastor. He says, I wasn't talking about the man. He said, I was talking about me. He said, you see, I was raised in a Christian home. I was taught to be a gentleman. I, I went to church on a regular basis. I, I took communion with the rest of the church. He said, I had all the great things and all the great teachers and everything. And he says, I want to tell you something. It's an amazing thing that God's grace saved me from thinking that I was already good enough somehow. And that is so true. Here in this passage of Scripture, in the first three verses, the Apostle Paul, he, he kind of, if you will, he goes back to Romans chapter 1 through 3 and summarizes them right here in this passage. If you've ever read the book, and we have, we've studied it a year ago, and there in that passage, uh, he, he nails it down, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, every person you think of, Gentile, uh, it don't matter if you're Jewish, don't matter what color you are, it don't matter anything about it, you are lost in sin. And here in this passage, he begins to do it. I have uh, often looked at chapter 1, I remember years ago reading Warren Wiersman, he said, we're the in crowd. Well, you can become the in crowd and become a little puffy. And uh, so certainly we want to make sure that doesn't happen to us. And this passage here will stop us. It's a full-length picture here in these verses of the lost man. Now, I want you to notice what it says in verse 1. And you were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, I think a lot of people look at the person when they were lost and maybe think about yourself when you were lost. You say, well, I, I was messed up bad. I was, I was sick spiritually. Or, you know, I... All kinds of things. But that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says that before we were saved, we were dead spiritually in trespasses and sins. 
The word death in the scripture most often talks about separation, and it does. When a human dies, his body and his spirit and soul are separated. If you go to the book of Revelation chapter 2, you see the second death that is mentioned there in that passage of Scripture. The person that is without the Lord Jesus Christ is, is cast off into eternity and eternal hell, and they're separated from God forever. Now listen, let me tell you, it's a different kind of separation in this sense. Not only are they in torment, but the greatest torment is there's no praying. There's no crying out to God. God will never hear a prayer again. There is no grace. And so when we understand that, we understand it means separation. We were born into this world, the Scripture tells us, spiritually dead. We'll look at that again in just a moment. We were dead in trespasses and sins, and we were spiritual corpses. Jesus said it this way. Jesus said in Matthew 13, 13, Jesus said, They seeing, they see not. They hearing, they hear not. He's quoting from the Old Testament. It's a good passage to look at. And there in that passage of Scripture, he speaks of the way we are. Have you ever been talking to someone, they heard every word you said, but they didn't hear what you said? I mean, deep down, my wife says I do that all the time. But anyhow, it's so true. I've listened to Scriptures. I've probably heard the gospel before I was saved. But somehow or another, at that time, it never really sunk in, and I never was able to grasp all that I needed to to be saved. It's because I was spiritually dead. And certainly that's true. If he, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And by the way, it speaks about our disobedience here. Notice, if you will, in verse 2, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath. And by the way, he said all mankind was in this boat. There are three forces that we struggle with even after we're saved, but when you're lost especially. There's the world system. Romans chapter 12 speaks to the Christian. says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why is that so necessary? Because we live in a world that is lost, has a whole different mindset than we do. And by the way, even when you're first saved, sometimes you struggle with this. I remember when I first got saved, I thought, man, all these friends of mine, what are they going to think? I was so worried they were going to weigh me down. Let me tell you something. When they found out I really got it, they disappeared. Uh, I didn't have a problem at all. It's an amazing thing how we're so controlled about what the world thinks. Sometimes I'm afraid, really, the truth is, when we have opportunities, and I know for me it has been, share the gospel. I'm afraid of what people are going to think. I'm afraid that I'm going to be bothering them and troubling them. Listen, we're influenced by the world whether we like it or not. Uh, the fashions of the world, the things that the world goes after. And listen, I, I'm, I'm not going to say that Facebook is sin, but I'll tell you what, you be careful not to wallow in it. I don't even go in. I've never been in it in my life. I've got too much to think about now. And But a lot of what goes on, uh, I remember a guy used to call it fake book. It's not real. What you see people doing and how they're living it up, it really ain't like that. And it, it, it can influence us. We can be so influenced by that many times and the pressures of other people and this world system. Jesus said, love not the world, neither the things in the world. If any man love the world, love the Father's not in it. It's an amazing thing how it influences us. And then there's the devil here in this passage. He, he speaks so clearly. 
following the prince of the power of the air. That's talking about Satan's domain. And by the way, he is called and referred to in the scriptures as the God of this world. And that seems to be pretty clear. Now, I doubt that the devil himself has ever bothered me because I don't have any influence that he could really use. He is an individual being, created being, just like you and I in the sense that he can't be but one place at one time. He spends his time in Washington, D.C., in <laughs> Moscow, and you name those cities where people there that influence the whole world and can overpower people in their lives and can lead them into all kinds of destruction. And by the way, the very thing that's going on now about abortion, I promise you who's in charge of that. But we all are influenced by those things because we live under those things. And certainly this is true in this passage of Scripture. He's pointing out all the things that, that once drove us and we were totally led by. But then there's something here mentioned about the flesh. Now this is the tough one. I don't think he's talking about skin and bones. He's talking about the promptings and the drive and the natural drives of our being. It is fallen uh, even when we are saved, we still struggle with this, and actually we struggle with it more than we ever did before because we don't want to do a lot of those things. And here in this passage of Scripture, when we think of Psalm says 51.5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. I was born that way. We have taken after Adam, our father, who fell in the garden, who's our federal head, and we're all in the same boat. Read Romans chapter 5 if you want to see that so clearly laid out as we uh, have studied uh, recently. And this is very true. We are sinners by nature. And listen, he goes on, and it really gets dirty here. Look at verse 3. Among whom we all once had our passions and flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature the children of wrath. Here in this passage, when he talks about it, he's talking about depravity. We're depraved. Now, that is not a pretty word. We, we save those words for people who go in and start shooting up people in a building. And they certainly are depraved. But we are too. As a matter of fact, and I'm going to try to separate this for you to help you with it. We're totally depraved. And the first thing that comes to my mind when I ever heard that, I ain't quite as bad as some folks I've met. How can I be totally depraved? And it is true. And by the way, I thank God I've got good neighbors, whether they're believers or not. Uh, if they don't shoot people, you know, and, and do all kinds of dirty things and rape and all those, I'm glad to have that kind of neighbor by me. Those are the kind of folks I, I like doing business with and hanging out with. But the truth of the matter is, the Scripture makes it very clear we're all in the same boat. I, I have heard this. This is not a pretty thing to talk about. But you, you find a dead corpse person might have just died and their body's still intact, but you find one that's been dead a few days, has not been taken care of, it won't be. But they're both in the same boat. They're dead. The same thing. And here's what it means. We are created in the image of God. All of us. By the way, that's why we should show respect to people that are lost and even give some respect to the fact of people who are totally depraved in the sense that we think of oftentimes. They're, they're as bad as they can be because we are thinking beings. God created us in his image. We have emotions. Jesus wept at Lazarus' graveside. On several occasions, we see emotions coming from the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have a will. We make choices. 
In that sense, we are created in the image of God. And listen, every one of those elements of our being is sinful. It's depraved. And that's what total depravity means. It means in every way you are in being created in the image of God has been marred and you're spiritually dead. When Adam fell, all those things you find. The Apostle John in 1 John talks about these things. And and it's very clear. We see this over and over and over. When Jesus is tempted in the garden, or excuse me, uh, in Matthew chapter 4, there in that great passage of Scripture, he has fasted, and you find in each one of those areas, Satan approaches him and tempts him. But he never failed. But we do. I do. And that's what total depravity means. In every way we are. He's doomed. Look with me, John, just a moment. In the Gospel of John, chapter um, chapter 3. Great passage of Scripture. These are some verses worth memorizing. My memorization is mostly in the old King James because I'm an old person and I come from that era. Um, not when it was written in 1611, but I mean, I'm talking about when the church was basically used that. But here in John chapter 3 and verse 18, notice what he says. Let me find it first. I thought I had it. I didn't. Here in this passage of Scripture... He says, whoever believes in him, Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And again in verse 33, I think it is probably the end, toward the end of the chapter, he speaks. And actually that's verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whosoever does not obey... The Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Uh, The condition that we are born in will send us to hell unless the Lord Jesus Christ intervenes. The thing I like in this passage in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, the big question that pops up oftentimes when we are dealing with people, I have tried and I'd encourage you when you're sharing the gospel with someone, Ask them first, what do you believe a person must do to be saved? And I'll guarantee you, unless they've been well taught, and that's very unusual, they will tell you, well, you've got to be a good person. You need to join a church. Maybe you need to be baptized. They'll give you all kinds of things. Uh, Right here in this neighborhood, I've done that in the last few months, and Two of the people out of three, that's exactly what they told us. And, but that's not it. People think work saves you. And by the way, the only work that can save us is the work that Jesus did. And that's what we want to remember. And that's what Paul is saying here in this passage of Scripture. He tells us here in the passage, he says, notice if you will, in verse 8. In verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, speaking to these believers. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not of the result of works, that no man may boast. The first thing we see in this passage, we see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, at the end of that chapter is a great passage to look at, talking about your calling into the kingdom. Here in this passage, he says, there is nobody that's going to enter into the kingdom of heaven that's going to be thumping their chest saying, well, I was better than the rest of them. 
and I did this, and I did that, and I did this. No, there's not going to be anyone there like that. Everyone that enters into the kingdom of heaven is going to be totally by grace, unmerited favor. There is nothing in you or I that calls God to call us into his kingdom to save us in any way. There is nothing there. As a matter of fact, when I got saved, only thing I had to give the Lord was my sins, and he gave me his righteousness. That is a great truth. If you can ever come to grips with that and help a person to see that, that is how a person comes to understand the gospel and what it's all about. And it's through Jesus Christ. He is the one that paid for my sins. Paul writing to the Corinthians in that second letter in chapter 5, along verse 21, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's a swap. And here in this passage, Paul says, listen, well, by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself it is a gift of God, not of works, lest a man boast. And here in this passage, I love how he does this. After he says it's the, it's the grace of God, then he says, and this is not your own doing. I remember when I was an Armenian, and I have been, and listen, there are many good Armenians. I'm not, I'm not trying to knock anyone. But a guy asked me one night, we were out visiting, sharing the gospel. He says, matter of fact, I saw him this week. I hadn't seen him in a long time. Out of death. And um, he asked me, he said, Pastor, I want to ask you a question. He said, we're going to visit people, and we visit, try to visit on a regular basis, sharing the gospel. What is it in one man that makes him believe the gospel, and the next man don't? And I want to tell you something. It stumped me. Now, I thought about a lot of things. Matter of fact, I have written in my drawer some questions that I want God to answer one day. I'm still trying to figure them out. I'm scared to ask other people to think I'm crazy. And, uh, but I, I'm serious. It, it stumped me. I said, Darren, I don't know. Can't tell you. And then I began to think about it. And I said, now, it's by grace, and I believe that. I, I really believe it had nothing to do with me as far as any good in me, that's for sure. I knew that well. I said, is it because I was willing to believe somehow I'm better than someone else? That would seem to be logical if you believe that way, but that's not what the Scripture teaches. He says it's by grace, which means unmerited favor. There's nothing in you that had anything to do with your salvation. And then he turns around and he says that very clearly. He speaks to them. It's not the result of works. It's not of your doing. It's nothing you've done. God in his gracious love, he tells us here in this passage of Scripture, calls us into his kingdom. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest a man boast. And as we think about this, we think about our faith, and it's a gift from God. Turn it over just a few pages to your right, Philippians chapter 1. Listen to this passage of Scripture. In verse 6, notice what he says here in the passage, and I'm sure of this, that he that began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Now, I've started a lot of projects I've quit. God never quits one of his at the day of Christ. Go with me to 1 Peter for just a moment. I'm, I'm sorry, 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1, listen as he continues to speak about this subject matter. In verse 2, in chapter 1, he says, To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Here in this passage, he says, the faith that you and I have, we receive from God. By the way, back in Philippians chapter 1 again, and I probably should have quoted this while I was over there. But notice in this passage, he, he, he talks about this very same thing. I think it is toward the end. Maybe I can't find it right now. But anyhow, in the passage of Scripture, he says it's not been given to you only to believe in Christ, but also to suffer for his sake. And it talks about these things being gifts. Now, that's kind of hard to believe God gives us the gift of suffering. By the way, it's very important. And we find that often. It gives us endurance. It gives us patience as we continue on. So as we see these things, we see this faith even that we have is a gift of God. Now, how would God be able to do that? Well, it's, it's pretty clear in the Scriptures that um, there are several ways in which God does it. Number one, Peter writes, and he says, you being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. The night that I heard the gospel and the brother sat down and shared with me the gospel, I am certain that I probably had heard that read sometime and maybe had read it in my life. But for the first time, all of a sudden, when I heard this gospel message, Something happened in my heart. The word brought me to faith. But secondly, he tells us also here in the book of Titus, and I love this passage in Titus chapter 3. He says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. It's like the word of God and the Holy Spirit came together and bore me into the kingdom of God. The day I got saved, I had no intention of getting saved. Matter of fact, I had no intention of being in the house when the man come. I heard he was coming. It rained so bad that I just thought there ain't a nut coming out on a night like tonight. And I'm telling you, it was one of those nights when the rain was blowing sideways. But that night when I heard the gospel, it wasn't because of this guy. I had stayed away from him all I could. It wasn't because all of a sudden I was thinking that day about it. No, that night when I heard the word of God and the spirit of God got a hold of my heart at the same time, I was born again by that great miracle that God performs when he changes people. I'm amazed at people. I hear people sometimes who come from a, a movement that wants to see all kinds of miracles performed and healings and stuff. And, um, and people have asked me, don't you believe in miracles? I said, friend, listen. The most stubborn thing in the world is not a donkey. It's a human and when God in a moment of time can change his whole thinking process toward him and sin and, and make him want the Lord, that is the greatest miracle Jesus ever performs. By the way, in our passage in chapter 1, in verse, uh, I think it is 18 here in this passage, 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that worked in Christ? When God raised him from the dead. Did you know it took the same power to transform your life and my life as a believer as it did to raise Jesus Christ from the dead? And that's exactly what he's saying in this passage of Scripture. It is a miracle that God does this work in the heart of people. Not by works of righteousness we have done. But when God finishes this work, he saves us. 
And then he leads us to good works. Look again in our passage at verse 10. For we are his workmanship. And that talks about salvation. From the time he saves us, he begins to work in us. Hopefully he brings us together with someone who's a believer that can help us and disciple us and and work in our lives. He works through problems we live in and have and all those things. And certainly that is very clear. Look, by the way, uh, we saw that Philippians chapter 1, he that began a good work uh, will complete it into the day of Christ. But also in the book of Philippians in chapter 2, listen to this passage. Therefore, my beloved, as you, Paul's writing to the Philippian church, as you've always obeyed, so now not only in my, um, in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Verse 14, because of this, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God. Here he's writing to the Philippians. They have problems. When you get chapter 4, you see what the problems are. There's a, there's a division in the church. There's some uprising. And Paul says, listen, when these things are going on in your life, pay attention. God's working in your life. Why does God... Let people do this in churches. Well, I'm glad it does because he'd have killed me a long time ago. And you probably should feel the same way. All of us should. Listen, God allows things sometimes to come our way and in our life to grow us. Uh, We don't grow too easy. There are some things that we don't want to face and we don't want to move forward in. Some of these things God allows to come our way and calls us to call upon him, to get our eyes on him and not people, and to trust him. And here in this passage of Scripture, he's began a work, and he will do it all through the trials and the testings of our life. So again, we see this. And then notice, if you will, last, though, in verse 10, uh, as I was beginning to look at, he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has saved us. Not by works of righteousness we have done, but by His grace He has saved us. But once we are saved, it is God's intent that we do good works. That's His very purpose. It's to make us like Jesus Christ. And we should honor Him by being a light in the darkness in which we live. We should do the works in the ministry of the church. We should do good deeds to those around us and reach out to them and love them. Even if they're in darkness, remember we one time ourselves were in darkness. We are supposed to serve the Lord with good works. I love it over in the book of Titus in chapter 3. I don't know if you've ever read Titus or spent much time studying, but he says some unpolitically correct things about them right off the bat in chapter 1. He said the Christians, he said they're liars, I think it's in the King James Bible says in slow bellies. That is not a pretty picture. So culturally, they were apparently lazy and had some problems. And he begins to talk to them about their life. He says, listen, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. The washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Spirit. Verse 6 in chapter 3. Whom he, speaking of the Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And the saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. 
So we're not saved by works, but we're saved for the purpose to honor God with our works and to love those around us and to reach out to them. Now, the question we have today, certainly for all of us, is number one, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? I hope you understand there's nothing you will ever be able to do as far as works, reading scriptures, doing whatever. None of those things will earn you heaven. But your faith in the fact that Jesus went to Calvary and there he paid for your sins and my sins if you will believe and trust him. And they are paid once for all. I love the statement of Jesus on the cross. It's a hard thing to watch. But I love when Jesus says it is finished. What he said is the work is done. You can do nothing else to be saved but believe what he did for you. And then secondly, for you and I as believers, uh, may God speak to us. And I ask him to help me this week that I'll be faithful in the works that I ought to be doing to give honor and glory, not to lift myself up, but to give honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this great text that we've been able to look at today that kind of gives us the whole picture in 10 verses. And we pray you will help us to study it, to know it, that we might be able to share it. We may be able to help someone who is struggling uh, with how to be saved or if they are saved. And, Lord, there's just so many things in this passage that will help us personally as believers not to become prideful. You tell us in Proverbs 6 that you hate the proud look. Lord, may we ever be thankful for the grace of God, for the works of Jesus Christ on Calvary, and may we do it all to give him glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.